0: Hey, everybody. Tyree here with Before I Forget, along with Kevin. Say hey, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. And uh, today we have an extremely special guest. Not to say that the rest of our guests aren't special, but this one uh, is quite, say, man. quite a bit more special than everyone else, including uh, Kevin, who, who's here. All right. Yeah. No, hey, uh, I guess that was my cue. Um,
1: hey, so uh, we have today Earl Plumley. Uh, you may have heard about him. Um, he received this, this medal from the, from the president a couple years ago, and that's a pretty big deal. I want to let him tell his story though. Uh, go ahead uh, and say hello. Earl.
2: Hello. Yeah. I, I, uh, as a uh, foreshadowed by you two, I, I received the medal of honor from president Biden, but what, two years ago?
1: Yeah. Really? December 21. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh,
2: pretty big deal in some circles. It's not not so not such a big deal on others.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Like, what in what circle though? Uh, I saw uh, some time ago. Like, you went you went and spoke to uh, like in public schools over at Fort Sill, and I could just imagine some kids being like, "Who are you? Why are we here? <laughs> do you, what
2: sport? Do you play?" Like, oh no, well,
1: yeah.
2: none. Well,
1: <laughs> so you're um you're you're from Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. I'm from Oklahoma, born and raised. Tiny little town right there in West Oklahoma. Uh,
2: well, technically, it, it stopped being a town after a tornado in the 80s. They just didn't rebuild it. Uh, but there's still a school, and there's a smattering of houses. Uh, Merritt, Oklahoma.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Like, uh, like I, I've been to that part of Oklahoma. I did some time down at Fort Sill uh, as a drill sergeant, and uh, there's not a lot going, going on outside of that, that small area. Um, like I went to Altus air force base to look at a dune buggy and I was like, there's an air force base out here. God. <laughs> there's I always, nothing.
2: I, I love the air force. Cause I, I can just imagine, you know, the the type, you know, I'm going to go serve in the air force. I'm going to get this highly technical job. And then you get stationed in, you know, Altus, Oklahoma.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, I, you know, I, I think you got to mess up somewhere along the line and, and they're like, okay, yeah. guess where, guess where you're going. Yeah. Yeah i going to get to see no, everything. Evening, what was that? It's the only so way you can
2: pull yourself in the evening. So we're going to put you in Altus. It'll keep you out of trouble.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um. So
0: typically, actually, Tyree, that's your question. Go ahead. That's my question. That's my cue. Uh, so let's back it up a, a lot. What okay. caused you to join the military? It's not something that everyone likes to do uh, around mm-hmm. the time you did. Charlie Sheen, hell yeah, Navy SEALs.
2: Yep,
1: yep. <laughs> a, uh, I was
2: that was that was it. You know, that, I was I saw that movie and I was like, that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna do. And then you know, some other movies and some other life choices. And uh, I always always joke I, I was gonna be a Navy SEAL and it's the only thing I haven't
0: done. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What is? Uh... Do you have any other family members in the military or you're the you're first generation? No, my,
2: my, I come from a, um, like a military family. Um, yeah, my, my, my dad and brother, uh, both served. My grandfather served. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of what we do.
0: All right. Right on. What would they, uh, do you know, uh, their MOS? What was their job?
2: Um, so my dad was a fallen angel. So he mm-hmm. was supposed to be a pilot, uh, and then a- after Vietnam, they got rid of all the all the aircraft that he was going to fly, so he he uh, ended up being a uh, av um, uh, officer. And then, like me, uh, he left the Marine Corps and became an artillery officer in the Army.
1: And then, yeah, uh, yes, <clears throat> I was going to say I saw that that you were you were in the Marines. So, but you you joined the the, the delayed entry program into the Oklahoma National Guard, right? Uh, and, and then you said. Nah, marine Corps sounds way cooler.
2: Well, I, I had two really influential uh, mentors that kind of guided me to the Marine Corps. Um, and it was the, the sheriff and the district attorney of Beckham County. Thought that, that would be a good idea.
1: <laughs> so what, what what caused you to, like, well, once your time was up in the Marine Corps, I mean, how long were you in the Marines? Uh,
2: almost 10 years. I did like nine nine years and some change. I'd have to get my D214 and yeah. look at it, but Um, yeah, I did, I did, uh, I did four years in the infantry, first battalion, third Marines. And, um, and then after that entered a program called the, uh, RMAP program and became a, uh, force reconnaissance Marine. And then from there served, uh, with fourth force reconnaissance, um, second force reconnaissance and, uh, third recon, uh, out of Okinawa.
1: Nice. And then you decided to, uh, jump ship and come to the army.
2: And then I decided to jump ship. Uh, literally, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, I was, I was out of, I, I joined the army. I did all my, my contract on terminal leave. Uh, I had a 12 hour break in service, um, from leaving the Marine Corps to,
1: uh, you know,
2: taking that oath again for the army.
1: Right. Right on. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a a hard thing to, uh, like I've met some folks that, that, that were Marines first and they came into the army and they still have the, the, this very Marine demeanor about them and still talk about the good old days in the core. Um, and you know, obviously we give them shit for it because you know, we're in the army now, but, uh, yeah. when I went through when I went through the drill sergeant Academy, um, I didn't have a lot of, uh, like, uh, drill Sergeant leaders there to that I wanted to look up to, you know what I mean? They just didn't really fit that mold for me. So I sat there on YouTube every night and I would watch drill instructor videos. Um, and just try and get like motivated that way, and get some ideas on like how to like how to how to fit that role. And um, so yeah, like I I actually am a huge fan of the Marine Corps and how they do things, at least in the beginning yeah. stages.
2: Yeah, if if I was uh, if I wanted to fix uh, things, I, I would put the Marine Corps in charge of boot camp for everybody.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. yeah. I agree. And,
2: and I think uh, the, the the Marine Corps general instructor. It's the the most professional um, cadre of, of instructors I think I've, I've ever really
1: encountered. And we had on. we had we had somebody on the show, uh, um, Kat Carmitro. She's, she's a former Marine Corps drill instructor, and uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about like professional just like well, you know just the way she talks about it, how passionate she is about it, how hard it is to get to the point where you become you know a drill instructor on the field, whatever. It's just. Yeah. leaps and bounds. Um, like I've been in the reserve Drill program for a while and uh, the two just they are two different animals, but um, so when you, when you joined the army, did you, did you, did you come in on an 18 X-ray contract?
2: Yeah, I came in as an 18 X-ray. So um, I did the first day of, of basic training for the army. I got, I got all my uniforms and uh, you know, they were doing all their cattle car um, shit to start uh, training. And then I just carried my boxes. Uh, back to my bunk and, and then basic training was over for me.
1: Yeah, it's easy. Well, I mean, you already went through the Marine Corps, which is way harder. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But you know what they, they didn't teach me in uh, Marine Corps uh, boot camp, though? What's that? How to uh, set up and wear the Army uniform.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably not something they go over there.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and yeah, everybody there was like, don't worry, your, your unit will take care of it. Well, like my unit was, um, the special forces assessment, uh, cadre, you know, so I, I show up like a bag of shit and instantly just start catching hell.
1: <laughs> I mean, but did you get a chance to be like, Hey, listen, I, did, I was in the Marines yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nobody cared. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. You should have done your research. It's funny that you mentioned that the movie Navy SEALs is what convinced you to go in. Cause I, I never really gave the military much thought in my, uh, my later teen years, but that movie, like, I'm still obsessed with that movie. Like that movie was the reason I wanted to own a Jeep. The reason i wanted to own an mp5 and the it's, reason i it's wanted why, to it's
2: why i jumped off the coronado bridge it's, it's literally a ton of things
1: yeah we recorded with uh uh, uh one of the founding members of delta force since long ago mike vining and uh and kind of was able to just kind of tell, tell us or and with uh, william Branham, former navy seal so uh i was like because he 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 kind of said the same thing. That movie kind of inspired him to, to join and go be the Navy SEAL, and you know he was going to be the best of the best and all that stuff. And uh and I was like, he's like, I did all. Like, he said he ended up, you know, doing all the things, whatever. He's like, well, I did all of them except join the Navy, so basically a SEAL. <clears throat> yeah, all hilarious. Right,
0: so, so I have to ask the the silly questions. Uh While you were in, nine eleven happened. Where were you, and how did it change things?
2: Uh. Well, so I was I was on a UDP a unit deployment program. It's uh, so where Marine Corps just keeps uh, units forward for uh, any any use that might arise. Uh, so I was in Camp Hansen, Okinawa. Um, I forget the time difference, but we were doing infantry Okinawa things. You know, drinking all the beers and but uh, you know, date myself. We had you know, we had like one TV in the whole barracks. And the guys that were watching TV, uh, it was probably like 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was the morning news cycle on the East coast. And they all came running through the barracks, you know, you know screaming about, um, the, the towers going down. Um, and, and for me, um, you know, I was on this grand adventure and, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, that next morning, um, even though we weren't at war, we were on a war footing, And uh, I I knew that I was going to be serving in a a wartime military instead of a a peacetime military.
0: Uh, That's something similar that happened uh, with us. We, you know, totally joined thinking, oh, this is going to be a breeze. I'm going to do my time and join or go to college or whatever. But, you know, that day changed everything. Um, Kevin, you were going to say something? As I say, well, he and
1: I were both in basic training at that time down at Fort Benning. Yeah. And I, I graduated like I turned nineteen on the ninth, and then 11 happened two days later, and then I graduated three days later. And it's funny because I told my parents like I, I went, I was, I was really supposed to go to reserves, and I told them I was, like, well, I came back from maps with an active duty contract in the infantry, and they're like, but well, what about war and stuff? And 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 I was like, well, we haven't been to war in like ten years. It's fine. Mm-hmm. And then war. fucking
0: 11 happens. Boom. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, the United States. I, I jinxed us. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> I still stand by. I thought it was fake, like uh, because I again, this was around my first week in basic training when it happened, and I'm sitting here like, man, the CGI is incredible, and it was <laughs> well, not, it, it was, it was we played-
2: also great for me for what war was actually going to be like, because you know we we had a big formation the next day, and they're like, yep, we're going to war, boys, and you know, uh, and then they handed out. Shovels, pickaxes and machetes and I was on a, like a week long, um, detail to cut the jungle back around the perimeter of, of camp Hanson. And That's it was so it horrible. Yeah, it was. And we were, I think I forget the shifts, I, I, but I think we were, we did like four to six hours just, you know, chopping shit. And I was like, I thought war would be different.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is not the war I thought it would be. And well, so we both were stationed in Germany and uh, I got there in October and Tyree showed up uh, a couple months later and then, you know, and we're, we we had totally have it in our minds that we're about to go to Afghanistan and do war things. And we go to Kosovo for peacekeeping for six months. Yeah. And- so,
2: so all the, you know, we still had some, some, some 91 uh, Persian Gulf war vets roaming around, you know, not, not a ton of them, but they're around and um, you know, they're all like, Hey, if you want to get to the war, you better hurry. Cause it's not going to last, you know, cause for those guys, they, they, you know, they, the war was over in, you know, what, four days. And I, I remember, you know, my, you know, I'm, I'm chopping the stuff. I'm like, God, I'm going to miss the war. And then I, we, we finally get the call and go to Bahrain to guard ships and do port security, not invade Afghanistan. And I'm like, there it is. I missed it. Mm-hmm. And I still, uh, for a solid decade um, was always kind of panicky about getting, getting on the next trip. Cause it, it'll be the last one. Cause you know, this isn't going to last forever. And so now I'm, I'm just looking back at this 20 year long, you know, two decade
1: yeah.
2: uh, fight that we were
1: in just like, what an absurd uh mentality I had. Oh yeah. I mean, well, and, and who could have predicted it was going to last 20 years, 20 plus years. Well, there um, was- oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. Um, so, as a, as a marine in the infantry and then in, in force recon, did you ever get to uh, go do stuff aside from chopping back to the, uh, the jungle oh. and Bot-Rain? well,
2: um, yes, I, I got not in the infantry. Uh, it's actually kind of a, another lesson learned. I always try to tell guys about about uh, leaning too far. Um, I had two trips that were you know they're not going to make a movie out of those. Uh, one was you know garden ships. The the second was a. You know, mission top secret, destination unknown. Uh, and we went to the southern Philippines and guarded the special forces um, um, commands command down there. You know, like, so we were we were the Ugandans for the for the special operations camp, guarding the Chow hall and you know giving up feeding tickets. Um, but so, but when so I you know it's 2005. I've, I'm doing this recon thing. And my, uh, my leadership in the infantry is like, Hey, we can't tell you anything about it. It's classified, but we really want you to stay for this next mission, but we can't tell you anything about it. And I was like, no, you guys got me twice with this shit already. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then so while I was in ARS, um, which is, 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 a you know, it's a, the Marine Corps as, as their fashion, they copied Ranger school and, and buds and made, you know, just a real pain in the ass school. So I'm getting just destroyed out there in Virginia and I'm, I'm look up on the news and my infantry battalion is just tearing the hell out of Fallujah. And I'm like watching all the guys I know on the news and I'm like, God, I'm cursed to never see combat. But, uh, um, obviously as a force reconnaissance Marine, there's just not that many of them. So you, if you're, if you're a force recon Marine, you are going to, um, get, get deployed to combat. So I, I got, I got my fix uh, shortly thereafter.
1: Yeah, that is, uh, that is pretty wild though. So we, uh, that's when he and I, so we, like I said, we, before Tyree and I were in Iraq in 04 to 05. So the big, the big, uh, the big, uh, research camp- yeah, well, we, so we had Operation Baton Rouge in October in Samara, and then there was that one that happened up in and in, in Fallujah in November, and I can't remember what they called it, but uh, I know a lot of Marines were involved in that. And then Fallujah and the Marine Corps have a uh, love hate relationship. I feel like during that time frame because there's a lot, yeah, no- well, a lot going on in that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, uh, wants
2: to be there, but everybody wants to go there,
1: right? Yeah, that's a good spot, but not really. Um. Good spot for bad stuff. So you definitely did get to see some combat later on. So you you join, you come into the Army. What year was that?
2: Uh, I came in the Army in 2010.
1: Uh, yeah. Okay, so you come into the Army, 18 X-ray, you go to uh, Selection, and uh, you're over there at the JFK uh, Special Warfare School. Yep. And you come out as an 18 Bravo Weapons Art. That is correct. Yeah, it's the good stuff. That's what I always. Yep. That's what I wanted to do. If I never, I never tried out. It's one of my biggest regrets. But um, you know, I feel like a lot of folks, especially dudes in the infantry, we always have a story similar to that. Like, oh, I wanted to go ranger. I wanted to go SF. But you know, so I'm sure it's. Actually, I kind of feel like, and maybe you can confirm. You know how like you talk to somebody who didn't join the military, but they have that like I almost joined the military, say, but yeah, yeah I, mean, I
2: went down there. I just, yeah, that's so I always uh um you know, forewarned guys. I was like, Hey, go to selection, man. At least, at least if you don't make it, you know, like I, I went and I didn't make it. And if you do, it's another, it's another decision. Like, am I going to do this or, or not? Um, and if you decide not to, then you decided not to. Right. And I think, uh, the people that have that, like, well, I never tried out. I wonder if I could have made it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it seems to, it seems to be a little thing that, you know, they, they carry that little chip around their shoulder. Um, yeah. And I think you know. I think it's one of those you know, civilians do the you know the same thing. Like, I was thinking about joining, but you know, uh, for whatever reason, I didn't. And uh, so I actually went through selection with a 54 year old man. Hell yeah! What? And, uh, yeah. And he got selected. Um, what?
0: He, he ended up getting hurt
2: in the Q course, right? Because the selections, it's bad, but it's it's over. You know, it's it's whatever. Twenty two days. Um, you can take anything that long. Um, but through the Q course, he just wasn't able to heal up. Um, so he, we would do stuff, you know, and it's, you know, it's like a year long of, of a pretty vigorous, um, physical activity. He just couldn't hold up, but, uh, he'd, uh, he'd always wanted to join and, and, and decided to act on that and joined as an 18 x-ray and went to selection.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. That's my yeah. Ass. I would have been one of those guys. Like I was going to join, but I'm just way too fragile. And uh, yeah. that's no way, it's no way you like be well, honest, yeah. be honest. That's the best policy I was going to join, but I just couldn't, I know I couldn't make it hats off to you guys. Tell me a little bit about the team mentality of uh, training at that point. Now you're.
2: So that's, that's one of the things I like about uh, elite units. Um, and I found it to be true on, on both sides as a force recon marine and, and, uh, as a green beret, um, it, it, uh, it brings like this collectiveness together. You Like you can't, you can't do those schools alone. Um, they're, they're just too hard and you're going to, you're going to have your, your peaks and valleys. And so it's, it's just as important to people around you as it, as it is just being emotionally strong yourself. Um, but it really brings people to, together and you see those bonds, you know, I'm, I'm closer to, to the people I've served with, uh, than than most friends and family you know before or after uh, that that I've met and uh, but that's something I just really like about this is is uh, once you once you start getting hammered like that it really strips a lot of the what I call the fake uh, veneer of society off of a off of a person and you just get down there to the the meat and potatoes of their personality and uh, it's just really it's a really neat environment and I I, I always pity people that haven't really got to, to be around 30 or 40 people that literally um, you can trust your life to you know let alone your wallet and your your uh, your comfort but your like your actual well-being and your future and it's just it's a neat feeling to, to like just to be able to be completely vulnerable around people.
1: yeah uh, it, you know it, obviously we didn't do special operations but I mean after our time in Iraq, and you know, in, in as infantry, we were mech infantry over there, and it's it's kind of the same thing. Like we're relying on these Bradley crews to kind of to make sure that like when we're on the ground that they got us covered, that we got them covered. Um yeah. it's a whole thing. And Back in '04, it was it was a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I can I can I think we can kind
0: of kind of relate in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mainly because we were together for so long. We were together, you know, normally in the active duty UETS every two years, maybe three. Yeah we were together almost four years solid because of stop loss and stop movement. So we knew each other, like the back of each other's hand, literally like, yeah, uh, yeah. I know everything about him. He knows everything about me. So we had, a we had a fucking blast when we went, when we got deployed. <laughs> oh yeah, no. Yeah.
1: It was a, uh, I remember on the, on the bus ride to uh, to when we went to catch the plane to fly out, you know, it's like, I don't remember being like afraid or anything. Cause I wasn't with a bunch of people that I didn't know. Like I knew all these dudes. We had some new guys in, in the unit, but like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, nothing exactly. crazy, but like, you know, so you, you, there is this level of comfort of being like, I know these dudes I, I know how they train and I know how they work. And I feel comfortable with that and it's okay. And, uh, and it was, it was pretty good.
2: Yeah, especially when, if you've deployed like, you know, a couple of times and you're like, this guy's got my back. And I think that's, I think that's the thing a lot of people don't notice because when they, they go to get out and, and on the civilian world, nobody's really got your back. And it's yeah. kind of depressing. I think that's where a lot of, I'll find out here shortly, but I, I think that's where a lot of the, uh, we call it the spicy sadness. You, you get out and you're like, dude, what, did, what have I done? And everybody out here is kind of not a very good person.
1: That is absolutely the truth. And it is kind of the spicy sadness because that's what he and I did. So we did our four years on active duty. We got out right after we came we went to Iraq 90 days later. We ETS. And then I come into the, we both end up coming into the reserves um, a short time later. But it is a really interesting transition, especially back in 05 when, you know, GWAT veterans were not much of a thing. And, you know, we, we had the, the, like you said, the, the the Gulf War veterans who, you know, they, they had a very short, short time frame to do things. And so the last like the last actual veterans who had sustained combat uh were Vietnam and you know if it, I was fortunate to have had an uncle of mine who was a Vietnam veteran and uh so he kind of helped guide me a little bit but like it was still kind of an interesting transition. And when we talk to people now who who uh are about to retire or are coming you know whatever um, or have retired um after 20 plus years in the service and making that transition from military person to now I got to go be a civilian person. um, It is a really interesting transition. Um, A lot of people tend to be kind of, kind of uh, scared of it, shaken up by it. uh, Not sure what to do next because we have, you know, they have lived this very specific lifestyle for so long and it's pretty much all they know as an adult. Mm-hmm. And now they have to go operate as, as as a civilian and start using HR terminology. And, uh, you know, you can't just tell somebody to shut the fuck up. Um, you can't, you know, you have to be, you have to be a little bit more polite. Um, you can still say um, it, you just have to say it in the right think, way.
2: You have to lie more often.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's an interesting world for sure. Um, you know, and people keep asking me because I'm I'm retiring this year and people are like, Hey, so what are you gonna do after the army? I'm like, Well, I'm in the reserve, so like I'm 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 a civilian ninety-eight percent of the time. Um yeah, it's it's really not that bad. But it's still, you know, you still think about like, well, now I'm not gonna have to put on a uniform and 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 go do these things. I'm not gonna be able to, able, able to volunteer to go to Fort Leonard Wood to train troops, whatever. And uh and so there is a little bit of that like, I'm not gonna have that but it's definitely not the same thing as an active duty person transitioning to, you know, the civilian world. It's two different things. Uh,
2: The other thing is I think a lot of guys take for granted, you know, I'm getting all this freedom. Well, the, on that active duty side, you know, it's, it's a, I use the terminology. It's not a job, it's a profession and a profession comes with certain things. And one of those is, is, is some respect from society, you know, and, uh, so you suddenly you're out and I, and all your, you know, all your good friends are somewhere else. Um, and, uh, and nobody, nobody, uh, cares as much, you know, when you tell somebody, you know, hey, I'm specialist so-and-so, you know, 82nd airborne that comes with, uh, some awe and some respect. And then you're like, you know, Hey, I'm Doug, uh, army veteran. They're like, yeah, cool. Yeah. Get over there. That's yeah. the shit pile. Start shoveling.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Fuck. That's I mean. the thing. Yeah. So like whatever, all your accolades in the service, you know, we walk around in the army, we have all of our stuff, all of our uniform and yeah. I can look at somebody and be like, Oh dang. So you got a CIB. So you've seen combat. You got an EIB. So you don't know not to work for stuff. You jumped out of an airplane. So you know not a fall. Um, your
2: respect that you, I know to give you like, oh, cool exactly. Thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. But in civilian world, uh, it's a nice polo you've got on there you know it's it's a it's a different
0: world for sure but that's the thing um, when it comes down to that you just have to set yourself up to be ready to maybe slide into something that's similar to military i went into the lapd after i got out and it was an easy transition they they thought it was hard but nah, come on easy 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 time in the lapd uh so and it was just like being being in the army all over again a bunch of army guys marines a big good mix of everyone a good team and uh Man, as long as you got a plan, you'd be all right. Yeah.
2: That's, the, that's the, that's the, the, the plan. Mm-hmm. I, I hate when guys are getting out and I'm like, what's your, what's your plan? Like, well, I'm going to get out and then I'll see what happens. I'm like, Oh sweet Jesus. No, no. All right. Okay. You have Wednesday off today. I need you to come up with a plan. <laughs> like
1: you're, you're going to do. What? So, uh, with that being said, what's, what is your plan?
2: Oh, uh, so that's why I'm still slow rolling here. um, Uh, I am, um, I'm going to find something, right. Um, I think I'm going to strike a balance between, um, still, still kind of, uh, assisting the army with, uh, kind of the, image, the recruiting and retention things. Um, and, uh, my, my current profession in the, as a green beret is, uh, force innovation. Um, so I, I communicate what we need, uh, to industry. And I also communicate what industry can actually build, uh, down to the operator. And it's so we don't ask for things that, um, uh, aren't at cut, aren't at the cutting edge, ask for something too easy, but also don't ask for a lightsaber. Uh, cause no matter how much money I give them they they can't build you one. Um, so I'll probably get in with a, uh, a defense contractor of some sort. Um, uh, just where I haven't figured out yet.
1: Right. Um, and one thing I've always kind of wondered, and, uh, I think Tyrese kind of wondered the same and, and you may have wondered the same in the past too, uh, prior to December 16th, 2021. But, uh, what, what is, what is, what is life for a medal of honor recipient after receiving the medal of honor? Um, especially while in the service still.
2: So I think the, uh, for me that they, they learned the, the army, uh, had kind of learned about uh, being over controlling because a, a lot of the, reci- the early recipients all got out and, and not because they, they could, or they just, they just felt so uncomfortable in the army. They left. Um, so for me, I, I deployed like immediately following my ceremony, um, and nothing really changed. Nice. And, uh, um, you know, everybody that I'd served with on that team, they, they all knew, you know, the story, so for them, you know, like, oh, you finally got the metal cool. So there wasn't re- any real big adjustment. So that being said, I have noticed, um, people that were people that are showing up post, uh, metal of honor, uh, treat me much differently than people I've served with in the past, you know? So, um, and, uh, when I walk into a room now, I can kind of stick everybody to the wall, um, mm. which is uncomfortable, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, what is that especially like? for your yeah. profession.
2: I, yeah. I'm not, a, am not a, you know, I'm not a general officer. I'm a, I'm a, uh, E8. Uh, I have spent my entire career on, on teams. You know, I've, I've never served at a, a higher level than a, than an ODA. Um, so for me, it's like super off-putting cause I'm one of the guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, uh, now you have this and, uh, everyone's going to treat you different everybody it no yeah. matter what it's I, just okay. how it is but and
2: they ask, you know it's funny to me cuz people ask me the craziest damn questions you know i got the medal of, of honor for for valor uh i didn't i didn't get uh special classes with plato i'm not a, a you know a philosopher or a theoretical physicist so people ask me these crazy questions and like you know i can talk about um, tactics and i can talk about um tactical leadership and that's about it <laughs> i'm an yeah. expert in those things
1: well, um, you know i think i think when we uh, for 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 we common folk right uh for everybody outside of it who who's in the military or who who knows what the medal of honor is and what it represents um and what it takes to uh become a recipient of it uh you know there is it's 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 up there, right? It's on a pedestal. And we, we look at it as like, holy shit, you know? And, and so then, you know, and we, and we look at history, uh, h- historically, a lot of them are awarded posthumously. And, and so to, to be like, Oh my God, this guy's getting, and he's, he's, he's alive, he's around, he survived the things that he did. And so there, yeah, there, there's, there, there comes with that, this like level of like, you know, God, like uh, persona that is uh, portrayed or, you know, put on these people. Um, But at the end of the day, and what it sounds like, uh, from what you're saying, uh, you're an NCO and you work in a profession where what you did was what you were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of how you feel about it? I mean, yeah. So I mean, in that situation, like what else were you supposed to do? You know what I mean?
2: (laughs) So I remember they were during the investigation for the Medal of honor. They were of particular interest was whether I had the ability to, um, escape. Cause that's a big, big deal. Right. Huh. Um, because if you're, if you're trapped in a corner and you fight to the death, well, I mean, you were trapped in a corner. That's, it, it takes something from it. Um, and, uh, to me, he's like, well, did you have the ability to, uh, to flee? And I was like, well, no, he's like, why not? And I was like, well, cause I would have had to jump over, uh, all my wounded friends. Uh, and that would have been, you know, that's impossible. Like I would have to run past all my buddies that were not able to flee. So I, no, I did not. He's like, I mean, but you did have the ability to. Like, mm, I guess if I if I wanted to be a, a social pariah and it makes Christmas parties really awkward when you everybody that's there you left their fathers to die on the battlefield. But yeah, technically, I guess I could have run away.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, yeah, it looks like we're gonna have to Tarantino this thing. So. Let's back it up again. Since we we're talking about it, uh, go through that day for us for anyone who isn't familiar.
2: Uh, um, okay, so uh, Polish FOB. We had um, a special forces camp inside of it, um, which is key because you'll you'll be wondering, you know, why we weren't uh, more involved in the security, and it's because we weren't involved in the security at all, and. Um, Anyway, the uh, they'd been attacking our camp um, almost daily with indirect fire for about two or three weeks. And uh, I thought it was just harassment fire. To, to cause, You know, a shell lands on the camp, all the sirens go off, and you have to go sit in a bunker for, until the EOD guys find it and tell you that the bomb has went off. And, and then we're like, yeah, no shit. I, the first clue was the explosion. <laughs> Um but what, what they were doing was um mapping out the, the responses, um, mapping out where everybody sought cover and uh, and building a shot card for their for their guns uh so that they could accurately engage areas of the camp that they wanted to. Um so for me, that morning um we're sitting there and the, the building I was in just got just rocked by a huge explosion. Um, I was in the med shed with our, our company medic. And, uh, you know, um, I thought that, uh, that our artillery round had landed on our building and, um, you know, I'm climbing up off the floor and, you know, asking, asking, I was asking him, Hey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And so I'm going to go walk outside and tell everybody not to worry about us. And I walk outside, you know, to tell everybody not to, not to uh, come over here with their hair on fire because we're both fine, but when I walk outside, what was like a super clear, pretty Afghan day is now there's this this, this uh, dusty fog hanging over the entire camp, and every person is coming out of their building thinking that their building's the one that's been hit. And uh, I'm, I'm slowly kind of looking around trying to figure out what exactly has occurred here, and I see this mushroom cloud um, kind of dominating uh, the sky. Of, of the camp. And that's, that's because a, uh, you know, a a, a 35 to, to 5,000 pounds, um, vehicle borne explosive device had been detonated and, uh, which is not typical. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> of, of, uh, <clears throat> anybody's career. But, um, so as I'm looking at it, I start hearing small arms and indirect fire. Um, and it, you know, it picks up and it's getting louder and louder and, uh, that's, that's what kind of my cue that like, Hey, this was, this was going to be a different kind of day. And, uh, uh, you know, I jump in all my stuff, throw all my gear on and, uh, another buddy of mine, Nate Abkemeyer, we come, he comes running up and we, we hop in, uh, uh, our, uh, uh pickup truck and, uh, we're driving out, we pick up another um, buddy of mine, the the intelligence sergeant from my ODA, uh, Drew Busick, load him up in the back seat and of uh, start- the camp and uh, and and head down to uh, where this um, where this dust cloud is. Um, and uh, as we as we get down there, had two other operators pull past on a four wheeler, you know, and they're giving us the thumbs up, you know, pointing down to the uh, where this where this bomb's detonated. And, uh, we're like, yeah, we're going there too. Let's, let's push. And, uh, as we get down there, I, I started slowing the truck down. Um, cause I, I was, uh, had a sniper rifle at the time. So I wanted to climb up on this wall and, uh, kind of dominate the train over this airfield and, and, uh, and watch the breach, you know, cause we're kind of figuring out that they, they breached the wall for a purpose. <laughs> um, and, uh, I didn't realize how how prepared they were because I'm thinking we got there pretty quick, uh, but they were they had um, really sp- probably sprinted toward that bomb as it was detonating, and and uh, the assault force had already got through the breach before we got down there. But uh, as uh, Matt Horden and Chief Colbert pull up on this four wheeler, they both just get hit with small arms fire, um, and kind of a lot of it. And uh, you know we had a we have a we have a drill for that. Um, so, you know, we can see them getting hit and taking fire. Uh, so we're going to pull our truck in between them and the fire. Uh, at this point, I can't see where they're getting shot at or, or where they're getting shot from. And, uh, so I kick my door open and start prepping to pull my rifle out. And as we pull forward, uh, I just see Afghan soldiers all over the place. And, uh, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, typical, these damn Afghans, um, I've run off again. I'm gonna get them corralled up and put them in the put them in the fight you know, but thank thank God they're here because I got something to work with but uh as i as we pull into it with you know pretty much like a little school circle of Afghan soldiers, um they identified themselves as not Afghan soldiers by shooting at us <laughs> and uh, that's that's they uh, they'd had a couple of a couple attacks on camps and they kept trying different things, you know, dressing up like the Taliban will get you shot up. Uh, they tried to dress up like American soldiers, uh, mm-hmm. but, you know, we have a pretty strict uniform code. So everybody picked up on it immediately that you're not supposed to wear sneakers and wrong colored t-shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that didn't work. So they said, you know, I can, I can look like an Afghan army soldier. Uh, let's try that. And uh, it worked. You know, we we parked right in the middle of these, of these a holes. So um but they started shooting us up. Um I pulled my you know, pushed my rifle out, uh fired one round at the nearest guy and, and my rifle jammed. Um which, you know, of course it did, because it it's uh, it never jammed before, it never jammed after, but that day it jammed. Um and that kind of left me in a pickle because I'm I'm sitting in that truck seat with the door kicked open, uh, you know, facing um it probably, you know, seven, eight guys all shooting into the truck. Um, and, uh, I only had really one, one thought was, uh, by, uh, by Nate and drew enough time to figure something else out. So, um, I transitioned my pistol and I just, uh, assaulted into what was their little, their little line of, of troops that they had about, um, 10 or 15 meters from, from the, from the truck. And, uh, you know, I started just working my way across the across these guys, engaging with my pistol. And uh, you know, I was fairly competent pistol shot, so I started getting hits um, and and putting guys down. And for whatever reason, um, they shot everybody except for me. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah, the Nate got shot. Uh, Drew was sitting in the back. You know, he's getting shot, um, and and he's still pretty salty about it because all the bullets that hit him came through my door uh, somehow missed me and then hit him. Um, And then obviously uh, chief Colbert and and Matt Horde were hit several times uh, uh, riding up on that four-wheeler. But uh, anyway, I got right in the middle of these guys. Uh, My pistol was mostly empty and I, you know, I'm kind of in shock because, you know, the nearest guy was probably seven meters and I was, um, you know, Coming right down the, the axis of his rifle, and uh, we actually got the rifle afterwards. And I, I put two rounds, uh, one in the crown of his muzzle, and one on the front sight post of his AK. Nice. Um, yeah, and then some. You know, I mean, somehow he he was able to hit Drew um, behind me. <laughs> but uh, so my rifle's jammed. Um, my my pistol is is uh. It's probably got two or three rounds in it, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Oh, so I pulled out a hand grenade and we uh, just kind of threw it up in the air in the middle of us. And um, cause I figured, you know, nobody wants to stand next to a hand grenade, um, which is especially true. Uh, if you're wearing a suicide vest, it, you got them all, they got super excited about it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Which worked, you know that everybody took off running, and I I got my rifle back up, and uh, I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do next, and uh, um, I I hear that snap thump of uh, of rounds coming past me, and there's AK fire hitting the wall behind me, and uh, I look out to my 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 left and rear, and uh, there's a guy, um, you know, Taliban fighter in a sling supported prone position. Um, just driving them in and, uh, bad zero or just, you know, a little rattled out there on the battlefield, but he threw a, a pretty nice little group, probably a, you know, five inch, uh, group of rounds on the wall. Um, just about three to three to four inches below the nape of my neck. Um, and, uh, I anyway, didn't get a hit. Uh, so I, I held center. On the, I still remember seeing that the notch of his neck, um, I just held, held center on him right there. Cause my rifle was zeroed at a hundred meters and he's at, he's exactly at a hundred meters cause it's where we do our sprints in the morning between the, the flight line and this wall and, uh, pulled the trigger and like he, he vaporized from this plane of existence, which, uh, you know, was shocking also. <laughs> And I was like, "What the hell? What the hell just happened?" You know. I was like, I was looking around. I thought maybe a Polish tank could come in and hit him with the main gun.
1: Oh man! And, what uh, what rifle did you have?
2: I had a, a Scar um, Heavy, a Mark Twenty. Though it's a it's a it's in the split the difference between an actual sniper rifle and the the the, the Mark Seventeen Scar, um, which. You know, comes into play later because I had like a a 15 power scope on it. Perfect for anywhere else in Afghanistan except for on the fob in a a close-in fight. (laughs)
0: Of course. How much time is actually going on from the initial explosion until the point you're explaining now?
2: Uh, I don't know, probably like 70, 80 seconds, something like that, you know? Jesus. Holy shit. Yeah. So it's, the bomb's gone off, you know, we got in a truck and we've driven, you know, maybe 600 meters. Um, so not a lot. And I remember, you know, telling this. you know, I tell the, I have the story, you know, and, and I remember kind of recounting it. I thought it was like a 45 minute gunfight, um, maybe an hour because I just remember being exhausted afterwards. And then we, we start watching the video because there was a raid camera kind of panning back and forth on auto throughout the entire uh, battle and everything's happening. Uh, like I said, it happened except for it's happening on fast forward. <laughs> and so from when, from when the bomb detonated until we came back to the camp, I think was 11 to 12 minutes. Wow. And then for the, for the actual shooting part of the gunfight, I want I think it was like six to seven minutes of, of just high intensity, um, um, gunfighting and then it was over, but it seemed like forever.
1: Do you find that when you, when you talk to folks who, who have never deployed or have never been seen combat or civilians, that the, the expectation is kind of the same, Um, that like something like that would be a long drawn out thing and not happen. So like immediate
2: uh, no, actually I think for, for most people, this is exactly what they imagine because it's, it, you know, the movie, you have your love scene and, you know, the the funny guy gets killed and then you have a super epic uh, gunfight and then the movie's over. So as far as, like, Hollywood standard, it's right, it's perfect. It's perfect. Uh, that have actually been in, in uh, combat, they're, like, trying to break the story down, it doesn't make, make sense. You know, typically getting... That last hundred meters getting getting um, people to close that hundred meter gap and actually mix it up with a close infight it's difficult because uh people just don't like it and mm-hmm. you know professional soldiers they hate they hate actually getting close enough to the enemy where you can you can see them and hear them when they're hurt it's uh it's unsettling,
1: yeah, that would be um, most of our engagements, I think were at a pretty good distance most because we were mechanized, but um, there, there were, there were a handful of times where it was, you know, not at a long distance, but that's, I, you know, I, at least for us, I think it was, we still had that expectation that it was going to, to be that way. And I think if you, if you find yourself in a combat MOS or in combat and you have, you have this expectation that it's not, that it, that it couldn't become uh close quarters, then. I think you're setting yourself up for failure, kind of. Uh, Definitely. I, you know, I, I think if you're going to be in those situations, like if you know you're going to combat, just be open to all possibilities. <laughs> you know, and
2: it's well, it's a uh, what I found. There's there's a uh, there's an emotional hurdle, and it kind of starts. It starts around two to three hundred meters, um, because then um, both sides. You know, that's not that difficult a shot to make. So if you stand up, you could get hit. And uh, and you're starting to see the enemy. And uh, closing that distance is, is difficult. And that's where you, you know, I've driven up on it probably a thousand times. You know, troops in contact, and you go see what they're doing. And they're trying to suppress better. Uh, we're going to flank them. Uh, we're waiting on air already because it's... It's even if you're, even if it's like 10 guys in a tree line and, and you got a whole infantry company, um, getting everybody up and moving to close that, that, that uh, close in fight is, is always difficult.
1: You think, I mean, there's, there's obviously some psychology at play there, right? Have you ever read On Combat or On Killing by, uh, oh yeah. 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 No, that,
2: that's, that's the first time I, because I, I, I was trying to figure out what I was seeing on the battlefield because, you know, people just, they, you know, turn, everybody kind of flinches, um, when they, when it finally comes down to put steel on steel, um, the majority of the population is just incredibly uncomfortable with it. Right.
1: Yeah. I, uh, on, on combat helped me a lot, um, in that, uh, post active duty, post wartime, um, transition. Um, when I read it, I, you know, I was like, holy shit, like, that's what's going on and then reading on killing and they, they break down like the psychology behind, you know, teaching one human to kill another human, uh, the way that we do in the military and just the statistics behind it and, uh, all the research that was that uh, general SLA Marshall did back in the uh, world war two timeframe. Um, you, know, really what's, good you at- know what's
2: funny about that that I, I think um, so interesting is uh, I can't remember his name right now. He's an ancient philosopher and he's the one that of the hundred men, um, yeah. He yeah, yeah. should even be here. Um, it's still true that that is like, he, he really kind of defined what, what the battlefield looks like psychologically, even back then.
1: Um, yeah, no, I I agree, and you know, it's funny is we I think we've gotten better with our training, right? With how we we train people to perform these these functions, uh, in combat, in in most cases, and in some cases, the army, at least the army anyway, has gotten kind of away from. But well, that's a whole different story. But that 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 mentality or that that quote still kind of rings true so like even with all this training and understanding of what's happening on a psychological level and how we can create these methodologies to kind of bypass that it's still kind of true like you still have that one guy who is like yeah, I mean
2: that's the uh, what was it the, if he's just not built for it it doesn't matter how much training you give him he just can't kill mm-hmm. Uh unless it's by accident you know and I think that's where like make make him an artillery guy or something uh and i but it's you know i think all the training we do is because we you can't identify that person i don't think um through testing i the test is combat when you finally put him there and and can he act i think is the big test and uh so you have to train everybody to a high level and then um those people you know, just outperform their their peers on the battlefield, and then they outperform the enemy on the battlefield, and then uh, you know, and it's a, it's a sliding scale, right? You know, I don't think it's a hard line. There's varying levels of performance, and and uh, and units get better. I mean, I've seen green units, and then you know, you know, four or five months later, you see how they react under fire. They start getting better, but I, I really, you know, there's just a huge portion of the population that just really can't kill somebody, um, until it's too late. Um, cause you know, everybody, everybody wants to kill to protect their own life or something. And by the time you've given the enemy a chance to, um, act on that, you've, you've kind of missed your chance to, uh, to have that, have that, uh, advantage. Right. And I, you know, I think that's also a lot of things, a lot of times people have really bad PTSD. It's cause they, they weren't as aggressive as they should have been on the battlefield you know, trying to, trying to hope for the best in their fellow human. And then somebody gets killed and you can't take that back.
1: Right. Yeah. I see that. So it's kind of a, so not necessarily PTSD from the experience, but from the regret of what you could have done better in the experience.
2: So the the worst PTSD that I've seen is the, is the guys that have the guilt of um, knowing in their heart that they weren't as aggressive on the battlefield as they could have been or as professional on the battlefield as they could have been. And then somebody they cared about got killed. Um, cause you know, even if I, I can tell you that, you know, don't feel that way. It's not true, but it, it, you can't speak to that person because in his heart, he feels that way. And that's, to me, that's the people that carry the, um, the heaviest burden. Right. Um, and, and there's nothing I can say to ever make it right, you know.
1: Well, I, I think in that case, there's something anybody can say, right? Because it's how you feel in your heart. I mean, like, like how can how can how can somebody outside of you say, "No, nah, man, you 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 gave your hundred percent when you know when you know you probably could have given a little bit more, you yeah. know." So and I, it's I, the I, uh,
2: well, especially you know, like, oh, I didn't I didn't want to shoot him because his back was to me. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's right. like, I wonder if that's the guy that killed my best friend. Exactly. Like, I don't know. We'll never, we'll never find out probably.
1: Right. Yeah. No way to actually know. Um, and, and going, going back to that day though. So the, the fight didn't stop there though, right? Like when you,
2: uh, no. So, car. um, you know, I, I, you know, detonated him and I, I started figuring out that I, I detonated a suicide vest, you know? And, and for me, I was like, I was like super excited because every sniper wants to shoot, uh, shoot a guy in the S vest and detonate his vest. You know mm-hmm. it's it's on your to-do list. Uh so I was pumped and I was like I was actually kind of let down because I was like I was like dude you do you guys see that? Is that goal regulation or what? And I'm like, I'm out here by myself though. Nobody, you know, nobody's here to see it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh god uh, the humor that we find in these situations though, it's hilarious. It's yeah. awesome.
2: <laughs> and uh, so, so I can still hear everybody you know, yelling for help um, behind me, uh, hollering for support, hollering for medics, and um, and, and I'm, at, I'm at this little corner, so I don't want to go back to where they're at because <clears throat> then anybody can just walk around this corner and be right on top of us. Um, so I decided to 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 go after the guys I saw run off, um, and and stay engaged, so at least have a fight, not on top of my friends, and then uh, maneuver. Um, on the camp um, they won't be able to do it um, effectively because I'll be right there behind them kind of um, degrading their ability to do that. So I, I traips off down this little little lane made out of a HESCO wall and uh, uh, sea land containers. And I get about halfway down uh, to the next little intersection and uh, they must have seen me, been watching me, uh, seen me coming because I, I get there and all hell breaks loose. Um, everybody starts hanging muzzles and, uh, taking me under fire and, uh, you know, I'm shooting back as best I can. Uh, and my rifle runs dry. Um, and you know, I knew I was kind of down to, you know, like my last, uh, bullet in my pistol. So I didn't figure the transitioning again, was going to win it. Uh, so I just start reloading my scar. And, uh, as soon as I pull the muzzle up and dump the magazine, uh, the nearest fighter to me um, sprints from cover you know he's he's at the corner of like the sealant container uh he I just remember real clear he threw his rifle and in, into his sling so it kind of like swings behind him and he just started sprinting at me um, which I figured wasn't good and uh but anyway I, I got my rifle reloaded um, you know just kind of pressed it out in front of me and just hammered down on him and uh, detonated his vest, which
1: <laughs> he got two he, in one I, day.
2: Emotionally, it felt like he was hanging on the end of my muzzle, but he was probably—I uh, don't know—he pro- was probably ten or twelve meters from me,
0: kind of so close. did not even matter. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> it did right.
2: me a whole hell lot of good because uh, his vest detonated and it, it blew me <clears throat> uh, into that Hesco wall pretty hard. Um.
1: And, you know, it hurt. (laughs) Yeah. And for folks listening that are watching that that don't know the metric system, I mean, that's 30 feet. They're about 30 to 35 feet.
0: That's close. Yeah. Watching a guy pop like a fucking watermelon. (laughs) Uh, So you get thrown back. Uh, Was there any what happened next? I, am sitting here on the edge of my seat. Was it just right back into the fight or okay. No, try so, to get my uh, shit back together again or what the fuck was, was so, no, was so that?
2: I was kind of laying there against the wall. Hmm. Um, kind of, you know, shaking that off. Um, and uh, I, I was kind of TKO, you know, so I was kind of looking around trying to figure out what I was looking at. And, uh, and I started hearing rifle fire and, uh, and I, I remember that, you know, you know, that the, that real heavy, it's like real heavy gravel. They put all the fobs. Yeah. 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 So I was, I was laying in some of that and uh, the rocks were like exploding. And, uh, and it's all this rocks and shit are hitting me in the face. And, and, uh, I look up and I'm, another fighter has come over and he's, he's, uh, shooting at my face, but he's looking over the top of his rifle. So all of his rounds are landing uh you know, 14, 15 inches low and it's all it's hitting the gravel in front of in front of my face instead. And uh anyway, I didn't figure that was gonna work. Um so I pulled my rifle up and just just started hammering again and, and folded him up in just a little heap right there in the road. Um kind of fought to my feet, um started shooting at his friends and then my, my rifle ran dry again. Um, and, uh, anyway, given my past experience, I decided to reload somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, dumped my magazine and ran back down to the corner. Um, I got the, you know, got my gun up about the time I hit the corner and I crashed right into Drew, um, who's been locked in the back seat of this Toyota the whole time. Uh, like just a super freak accident. Uh, a round has come through. Um, the A pillar and then went down and it hit the child safety locks uh, <laughs> that are on the side of the Toyota. Um, Cause when I stepped out of the truck, Drew tried to follow me and he's, he's in there locked in the back of the truck.
1: Wow. But anyway, <laughs> special forces guy uh, taken out of the fight by the child locks. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's terrible.
2: Yeah. So, Super weird. That was on our to-do list. Hey, disable child safety locks uh, yeah. from now on when we get these trucks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, it's just a little red uh, tab that's in the door. You can get only get to it when it's open. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, you know, I don't think that would ever happen again, but it happened once. So now <laughs> now we're cautious about it. <laughs>
0: it's in the SOP. Yeah. yeah.
2: But anyway, you know, Drew shows up. And, and I'm like, Drew, I know right where they're at. Let's go get them. And he's like, all right, let's do this. And uh, so we um, pop back out and, and head back down to where they were at. Um, doing, you know Drew's on, on the far left of this little lane. I'm on the far right, doing cross coverage, you know And uh, we, get, we get most of the way down there and, and Drew's about to like step over this last guy at shot. so his vest didn't detonate, but he's, he's sitting there smoldering and uh I, I yelled at drew i was like hey you know stay away from the bodies they got suicide vests on which you know holds him up and he looks over and he's like what <laughs> and i was like they all have suicide vests uh stay away from them and uh, as as we're uh having this discussion uh, this guy's vest goes low order um and just starts burning like a you know like a huge blowtorch, um which causes drew he runs over and he's uh, with me now on the far right. And we're behind this generator junction panel. And, uh, um, you know, this guy's vest is burning. They started, uh, shooting at us again. So, so Drew and I are, are, are fighting back. And, and then they just start pelting us with hand grenades. Um, I guess everybody had like 10 or 15 hand grenades on them of the fighters that are left. And they're all just whipping them at us, uh, two at a time, but they're throwing them so hard that, that it's hitting the wall and then bouncing back in front of the lane, uh, in front of us, or it's hitting the, the generator panel and bouncing back and, and detonating. Um, so it's not super effective, but it'll, you know, it will get your attention cause it's still a grenade detonating, you know, like seven meters in front of you. Yeah. Which is, is uncomfortable. And, um, and I just remembered every time I tried to, um, I had a little, uh, little red dot 45 offset, and every time I try to line it up on a target, uh, something would blow up or catch on fire, and I, and I just remember just uh, shooting, but never really aiming at anything. Uh, mostly just out of frustration uh, of trying to you know participate at this point. And uh, um, as I'm kind of fighting through this, I get I get hit in the throat with a big chunk of something, and uh, I look down and it's a there's a hand date. and it's trapped in between my admin pouch and this. And this wall, or this uh, generator panel, and uh, you know, figured that wasn't good. No. Uh, but anyway, I started I started raking at it uh, aggressively, which is as funny as the, the old parachute had a for, had a procedure on it where you would kind of rake down to get it to go out. It's it's like a training The only mechanism that I had in my head was, you know, parachute shit. So as soon as I see this grenade, I just started like wiping at it like crazy
1: <laughs> to get it away from me.
2: And, uh, which I did, you know, it, it flicked off uh, in front of us and detonated where the others were. And then, uh, and then something hit me in the back of the knee and kind of, you know, broke my, my, the lock on my leg. And, and I looked down and there's a, there's a grenade in between and Drew and I and it had hit the wall and ricocheted in and hit me in the back of the leg, which, you know, got me and drew pretty excited. So we both started uh, trying to get it out for, from behind there with us, which is, you know, another, you know, instead of dramatic rock music, we are, our, our whole gunfight had Benny Hill music playing.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's funny. Uh, anyway, we get that thing booted out of there and, uh, and, uh, Drew grabs me and, and um, he yanked me with him. He said, we got to get out of here. They're going to kill us. And, uh, we, we made it about two steps from behind that, um, generator panel. And we both get blown down on, on top of him. He's squirming under me fighting to get to his feet. And I'm trying to, you know, get up while pushing him down and we get back to our feet and we run around that corner again. And, uh, uh, you know, catching our breath. Ooh, wow. And, uh, at that point, um, chief Colbert, Mark Colbert comes walking up and, uh, he's like, what the hell are you, you two doing? And, you know, we, we turn around and we're like, chief, we know right where they're at. Let's go get them. <clears throat> and, uh, he's like, okay. And he comes, he's limping up because, uh, um, he was on that four wheeler that had, that first pulled in and, and he got shot pretty good. Uh, but they shot him right through the butt cheeks. Uh, so he. I always make fun. He's got five assholes now. One from God and four from the Taliban. Oh, my God. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, we, we stack up. We had our one Navy SEAL, um, Lieutenant Turnip Seed. You know, he's—he's he's, uh, he was on the camp for the change of command that we were having that day. And uh, um, we're getting ready to push back down and and I'm trying to reload, you know, I'm like, I'm going to top my top, this gun off and I can't find a magazine. And I look down and it's cause my, I have none. My whole rack is empty at this point. Um, so I, I pull a, pull my mag out and I've got one round on the, on the feed lips. And I was like, Hmm, that that's not good. You know, and I have a scar shooting um, 308 and everybody else has an M4. So nobody's got any ammo to give me. Um, and, uh, so I tell Chief, I'm like, hey, you have to take point. I can't. Uh, and he's like, why can't you take point? And I was like, because I, I only got one bullet. Um, it's like, you take point, but don't worry, I'll cover you. And he's like, yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, Chief, he slides past me and, and starts limping down his point And, uh, as we're turning the corner to leave, uh, a Polish lieutenant and then a, a, a sergeant from the 10th Mountain, Mike Ollis, came running up. And, and uh, he was like, can I come with you? And we're like, yeah, if you want to. It's pretty bad down there, though, but come on. And uh, so they ease in there behind us. We get most of the way to that, that generator panel again. And, uh, um, you know, not that it's peaceful because, you know, the rest of the camp is still catching hell. But nobody's, you know, shooting at us or, or throwing hand grenades at us from, from like 10 feet away. And, uh, you know, chief Colbert's he's, he's looking and there's, there's piles, there's like body parts just all over the place, just like a big mess. And he said, uh, I think you guys got them all. And, uh, you know, right as he says it, um, this kid sits up out of a you know, pile of arms and legs, uh, bounce passes, two hand grenades at us and then detonates his vest um and you know which caused everybody to go you know scurry off to different places and uh I remember you know a grenade came and it was it was laying there and for for whatever reason I just wasn't that concerned about it because um, I don't you know I already wrote out like fifteen of them <laughs> and I was like, yeah the best thing is just to sit tight, but these don't hurt you I remember, I remember thinking that really clearly in my head um but I remember I was like, "Oh shit! I didn't put iPro pro on. I better not look at it." So I like I just turned my head toward the Hesco wall, <laughs> and uh, you know it detonated. It hurt, you know, uh, but I didn't get it, I didn't get wounded. Um, so I guess I was right. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, teach that as a as a preferred method.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. The grenade. D- despite that uh, day, grenades do hurt. Right? From yeah, they yeah.
2: hurt, but you know, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, well, you know, which afterwards, you know, Drew was wiping me down for injuries and he was just furious that I wasn't, uh, wounded, uh, that, that badly. He was really upset about it because he, you know, he got, he caught hell in the back of the truck. Every time a grenade detonated, he, he caught a piece of it. So I think he, I think Drew's got a, um, A piece of grenade frag about every six to eight inches for like his entire body.
0: (laughs) Good Lord.
2: So he was really put out that I didn't get wounded. Um, But uh, anyway, so, you know, that grenade detonated and and everybody's kind of scattered at this point. And uh, start hearing, you know, rifle fire to my rear again. And uh, one of these fighters has run all the way around this little block we're on and uh, attacked the guys in the rear. Um, which is you know is Mike Allis and and this Polish lieutenant, um, Trubica, and uh, you know I, I turn fire my last uh, two rounds at him, and uh, Drew is is on the other side of this hitting him with the MP5, and you know whether we detonated his vest or or he got hit and detonated it, you know don't know but uh, his vest detonated and he was probably you know a foot from from Mike Allis. And uh, this launch, launched Mike uh, most of the distance to me, um, and uh, at that point, you know, I my pistol's completely empty, my rifle's empty. Uh, I actually had my pocket knife out, and I was you know kind of jumping around with my pocket knife out. And then uh, I figured out I might be immune to grenades, but probably I don't need a knife fight. Um, people in suicide vests, uh, so I put my knife up. <clears throat> And uh, ran over and grabbed Mike Hollis and, and uh, drug him into a uh, another compound where I could kind of treat him.
0: How bad was his uh, injuries at that point? I mean, he just it
2: was it was bad.
0: Um, you know, I uh,
2: I you know I received a ton of training and I I, I treated a lot of uh, of casualties in combat, so I did, I went right after him. And it it took me a minute, you know, as I was, I was getting after him and I was like, wait, I don't need to do any of this. Like we're, we're on base. Like I can, I can see the surgical tent from here. (laughs) So I finished up with his tourniquets. uh, And then um, we got him in a, we got him in a little Suzuki mule and and got him to the, uh, the the surgical unit there on Goss. Probably like, you know, less than two minutes after he got injured. Yeah, but I, you know, if it, you know the story, unfortunately, like he he did, you know was killed. He succumbed to his
1: injuries. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, yeah, that's wild. That's uh, I'm just trying to like, y- y- you know, when you you can you can put yourself there if you, if you've experienced combat before. So I'm putting I'm trying to like imagine all this as you're as you're saying it, and it's just I just I mean, there you are with a pocket knife in your hand, and you're like. Hey, this is not. This is not going to be effective.
0: Like I might stab somebody in the throat, but they're going to blow up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Half the time you're getting beaned by grenades, like fucking Nolan Ryan out here.
2: That's yeah.
0: insane, man. I can't. Uh... Was, you
2: know, I just, I do like a, I do a tactical talk on on why I feel I was successful. Um, and but it, there are you know there are things I did that led to my success. Yeah. But the main one, you know, like if that grenade instead of hitting me. Uh, down here, if it just beamed me in the face, um, you know, that probably would have been the end. If at any time, um, if they hit me anywhere, um, you know, if they did, if they did just winged me in the leg or something, uh, totally would have changed that battle, but, but they didn't.
1: Yeah, no. And, 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 with everything blowing up and all of the rounds being fired and all of the shit that's going on, this mass chaos, the fact that like, you didn't catch any of that. Uh, I mean, like it sounds like the worst of it was getting blasted into the Hesco barrier. That, I mean, that's
2: what hurt the most. Um, yeah. Actually, where is it? I got it around here. So, but anyway, at the end of the at the end of the battle, you know, Drew was like, "Are you hit?" And I was like, "I don't think so." And, uh, I had blood all over me, but it was it was all their blood. Um, and uh, and then he he was messing with my arm, and I was like, "Okay, well, that kind of hurts." And I, I had. Not this one, but I had just the brass from an AK round sticking out of my arm. What? And the the primer wasn't tinted. So, like, I guess when somebody blew their vest, it ripped their magazine apart, uh, pulled the bullet and the powder out, and it went flipping through the air and and stuck in my arm. But, you know, I pulled it out myself with my Gerber, and uh, it left... It was, you know, the hardest thing was it had created like suction uh, on my tissue. And I was, so I was like pulling on it and it was like, it wouldn't, it was like a, a tentacle. But I I pulled it off and it just left a little ring in my skin. And now like you can't even see it unless I get a sunburn and there's still like a little AK ring uh, on my arm. But that was, you know, that was, that was it.
1: That's uh you might be the first person in history to be, Shot by the the shell, the brass.
2: By the, by the brass, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> but
2: uh, I did strain my back pretty badly. Um, so I got, I was having back spasms that night, and they gave me a bunch of uh, uh, muscle relaxers.
1: Uh, I forget.
2: What does what Sad Housewives take all
0: the time? Oh, my God. Valium? I don't know.
2: Valium, yeah. They gave me a bunch of Valium.
0: <laughs> you whatever you want after all that.
2: Oh, yeah. So I, you know, I went that night, the whole camp stayed at a hundred percent security.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, uh,
2: but I went to bed cause I, I was on Valium and, uh, I was thinking it's a funny part of the story. Cause so drew and chief had to man a, a tower all night. <laughs> they, that's the, the walking wounded got, um, um, towers are yeah. So, you know, chief shot through the butt. Um, Drew's shot, everywhere. So they, they couldn't sit down cause they were, it hurt too bad. So they, they stood up leaning over this sandbag, uh, machine gun emplacement and they were, that they pulled a, a guard shift all night long. And, uh, they're like, Hey, where's Earl at? And I'm like, Oh, he's asleep. He's uh he's wounded. <laughs> I'm like, I'm wounded. Why the hell?
1: Why am I out here?
2: Yeah. So yeah, I got up the next morning. Um, uh, you know, I was pretty sore, and everybody was still at 100 percent security. And like, I made coffee, and I was like, "What? <laughs> what have you guys been doing?"
1: <laughs> you see, you waking up with the birds chirping, ah, you yeah, like, you know, stretching. Yeah,
2: yesterday was rough,
0: and you know, yeah.
2: and they were like, "Yeah, yesterday never ended for us. We were on guard all night long."
0: Jeez. So that's I have to ask. All the chaos, the the hurricane of hell going on around you. What was it like to? line up with those guys that you trained with in the middle of this for even that little bit of time?
2: Oh man. So that was my, when we went back through and we made that turn, you know, Um, you know, and I'm following chief and he's, you know, he's limping and, and his, he's got blood all run down the back of his legs. And, and you know, Drew's been hit a hundred times and he's, he's leading that other stack up the front. And I was just, I just knew we were, we were going to, you know, we're gonna win. I just remember being like, just super proud, and like, um, I don't know if pride's the right word. I was just, I was just so um, happy to be part of that, and uh, and I just knew we were going to go in there and, and uh, just kick ass. And it just, you know, just being in a, an aggressive unit that's coming, uh, coming for you, like that just felt cool, man.
0: Man. I can't imagine like we've been in firefights and it's nice to have our gods behind us but something like that and that fucking super spicy all the way to 12 situation I, I, I commend you guys for all that man that's incredible I can't I'm sitting here like Kevin said visual, visualizing everything in slow motion with music in the background because that's how cool shit happens but that really wasn't cool man that was Hell that you guys are going through, you are wounded by shrapnel from this guy. It could have been bone matter. It could have been anything that you're stuck yeah. with. Like it's the fact that uh, you know you guys were able to get together and and fight through it in such a short period of time too. Because again, the way you're describing it, in my head, I'm running it. It makes it feel like it was an hour and some change. But no, this was twelve yeah, minutes like, at the most. Now,
2: yeah, just. Yeah, like like six six minutes from from start to to start to um, finish.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched in an interview that you had done. Um, I don't remember on what what it was exactly, but one thing that you said in it kind of stood out to me, and I I really appreciate this about you because you know you said I know countless stories from all my peers, and to be able to have that medal for all those guys is what makes me most proud. So like like you've received the medal of honor, but like. You know all of these dudes who have done all these amazing things, mm, yeah. um, and 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 you're recognizing that medal and, and you being the recipient of it for all of those people. Um,
2: That's yeah, badass, I, man.
1: That's I, humble. That's it's just I think that's
2: sport. my my thing. Of the, 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 especially being a, a a Green Beret. Um, most of the time when we go to combat, we we lead a um. A, a indigenous force. So there's guys that do amazing things on the battlefield. Um, but one thing that we have a requirement with the medal of honor is you need, uh, it has to be without a doubt. It has to have happened uh, or we're not going to do it. So, you know, typically a green beret, there's just no witnesses that that are credible enough to, uh, to warrant the medal of honor. that doesn't mean that they're not out there, you know, meeting the merit and the, and the metrics for it. And so, and so I know countless stories that, if there, if it had been a American unit, like that guy would have got a, a, a top three valor award. It just, it wasn't, hmm. wasn't there. The, the, and, the, and that's something like that's going to keep you humble.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the, the, so the medal of honor criteria, right. Recipients must distinguish themselves uh, conspicuously by gallantry and intrepidity, risking a loss of life above and beyond the call of duty. I mean, that's practically it. And then there's like, it has to be against an enemy force, et cetera, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: And you need, you need a overwhelming amount of credible evidence. And just by the very nature of a battlefield, it's, it's, uh, I think that's probably one of the biggest discriminators for whether a guy gets the medal of honor is, is if you, if you can put it down and say this exactly happened this way.
1: Yeah. And, and, and now, so you, you're, you're one of uh, 3,530 recipients of the medal. Um, which is a really small number uh, and, and we know, right. If, if, if you've served and if you've served in combat, you, you've seen guys and gals do incredible things in the heat of the moment. So, uh, you know, so it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a big fucking deal. Right. right. Um, but, and, and now your name is up there with all of these, these, you know, Roy Benavidez and Adi Murphy, you know, Salvatore Junta, you know, all, all, all these guys who did incredible things. And it, it, that's got to be also kind of like a, a humbling feeling as well too. Like, man, like, do you ever have the thought though? Uh, do, do, I deserve to be a part of this?
2: Um. Yeah. I mean, what, what do they call that? Um, imposter syndrome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, cause you know, for me, I, I was always a medal of honor, um, groupie, if you will, you know, I, I had the, the book and I knew all the narratives, uh, even as a kid. So for me, Audie Murphy is like the gold standard. Right. And, yeah. uh, they're like, Hey, you're being nominated for the medal of honor. I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, i always thought it was like this emotional, um, knee jerk reaction that would kind of die off. Cause for me, you know, Audie Murphy is, that was the, if you, if you didn't kill off a, you know, a hundred Germans, uh, it wasn't going to happen, you know,
0: Yeah, the standard felt um, different.
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think, there's, there's always that. And then the, the, I think the first time I, I really, it kind of settled in was I went to the the Medal of Honor convention. Um, and there's all the living recipients are in there and I'm just, I was just fanboying it, man. I was like, you know, I was like pointing to my wife. I was like, do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? And, uh, just, you know, geeking out and, uh, and then they start coming over and they're like, you know, glad handing me and slabbing me and, and saying that, you know, how, how impressed they are uh, to meet me and, and uh, know my story. And I was like, <laughs> that's incredible. That's like, crazy. How Drew Dix thinks I'm cool.
0: <laughs> that's nuts. Like, uh, I want to, that's one of the questions I wanted to ask is when you're ever around other recipients, like, uh, and you tell any stories, is there ever anything like, Oh, I mean, it's that's, you guys are in a very specific group. Okay, so me and Kevin, we're in a group where we can joke around with each other. Is there like joking with recipients?
2: Um, I mean, some of them—they're like any group of veterans, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, so you got me. I thought I thought my gunfight was pretty pretty fun. Uh, until I, you know, until the run out of ammo part. Um, but not not every recipient nor, nor veteran. Um. Enjoyed their time, um, and and for a lot of them, you know, for me, I you know, I pull my medal out and I and I remember, you know, charging in with with my buddies and then us, you know, high five and afterwards. And for a lot of the recipients, they look at the medal and all their friends are dead, um, and then now they're they're walking around getting treated special with their medal, so you know they're wearing that medal a little bit differently than I do. Mm. And that's also, that's the guy's, you probably haven't heard uh, him tell his Medal of Honor story because he doesn't like telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, uh, and so everybody, you know, every veteran's experience is unique. Every recipient, um, uh, ha, you know, has their own little, their little thing. Um, and, and whether they like the story or whether they don't. And, uh, but, you know, you give a guy a couple beers, usually you can get a story out of him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. still a story that has to be told. And the fact that your story is going to be in books, if it's not already, I mean, documentaries, uh, people can literally read about what you did at any point. Now you're going to be in this book with other recipients. There's going to be yeah. someone who's going to study you and write a story, uh, write a report, an essay. What is that feeling like being the hero? What is the feeling? to someone who uh, doesn't, know.
2: I don't know. I, you know, I just, I was, I, I tried to like, what, what led me, I always grab my things. Okay. So people want to know, you know, how did you do that? Why were you successful? And, um, so I, you know, what, what led, why was I successful and why did I do that? And, uh, you know, cause I instantly, I started getting hit up by like NCO academies or have to do, uh, a combat leadership story. And, and so I started I get getting hit up by all these NCOs and they're like, well, why did you do this and this and this? And, and, you know, there's not a, for me, there's not a great, you know, mysterious explanation of it. You know, I, I went into the fight because, you know, that's, that's my job. Um, did I have to, no, I could have stayed on the SF camp and, and met the metric, uh, for service, but I just thought that the, uh, the army and the, uh, you know, the and the American people spent kind of a lot of money training me to a really high level. Um, so for, for me, if it's going to be a, a 19 year old uh, 11 Bravo on his first deployment, walking point or me walking point, well, that's going to be me. <laughs> uh, and I, I think to me, that's, I just felt that burden and uh, I was successful because the army trained me uh, to a very high level. And, um, and really the only thing that I brought to the table was, was the will to execute.
1: Uh, and that's a, I think that's a big, uh, defining difference. Um, I mean, we saw guys when we were deployed in Iraq who, who didn't necessarily want to participate in the fight and that's mm-hmm. fine, right? Because like we talked about earlier, not everybody has that uh, ability within them and, and that's okay. Um, but that is one of the things, and, and it's, it's interesting to me that people are asking, well, why did you do this? And why did you do that? when you when you especially when you know that the entire fight itself was a matter of minutes right so it's not a, it's not like you know there was a ton of time for conscious thought it was it was um action reaction uh based on your training and your expertise and your knowledge of previous uh rotations and and, and what you learned in the marine corps and what you learned in training and and uh, as a as a green beret so you know to to say like well, why did you choose to do this was because it was the thing that made the most sense in the moment Right. Like, you know, you kind of, you kind of go with the flow in combat. And,
2: and what I always kind of tell people, you know, like any fight, right. You know, people always want to learn to be the master pugilist who can, who can win without getting hit. And then you go fight a guy and, and man, you get hit. And, uh, and, and, and most fights are over by whoever throws the first punch. Uh, Cause that's just how it is. Um, and in the tactical situation, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not an officer. I don't ever, I don't ever have a giant map and they move my pieces. So the only thing I provide on the battlefield was to clarify the tactical situation. And I can do that by when I find the enemy just going after them, and then somebody else can, can look at the whole map and, and figure, figure out what's going on. Right. And if you, and if you're, if you're waiting for that perfect time in combat, you're like, well, it's not, you know, We needed, I need to understand what's going on better. Like, unless you were at the enemy's brief, you're never really going to understand what they're attempting to do until it's too late. Um, so, you know, that's, I just had my, my mindset from, you know, countless, um, gunfights and and deployments that when, when you see the enemy, you go after them. Right. Like I decided that that's just, that's how I was going to do it.
1: Um, years beforehand. Um, so, and I don't mean to necessarily switch gears from from all of this because it's it's, it's really knowledgeable. it's good stuff to to learn and it's good stuff for people to, to hear, especially people still serving um, who 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 you know will find themselves in some type of deployment and or some type of uh, combat scenario. but there's one thing uh, that we had talked about in pre show that you kind of wanted to talk about, and I want to get into that for sure because um, I think it does need to be said you're you talking about team culture, um, and within the special forces groups, and um, all the stuff that was going on there, uh, with third group. Uh,
2: and I, I, you know, it's uncomfortable. You know, nobody wants to to point out weaknesses in their community. I, I think it's important to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> because you know we, it, and if you you know if you're watching, you don't know we had a we had an incident. We had a team out in um, third group. Um, I think, I don't think they've been, I think that the jury's still out, but almost certainly there was some drug use and, uh, some affiliations with prostitution, you know, not, not cool things. Um, and third group, you know, you know everybody wanted to, to kick them when the, the story first came out. But I think the good news story is, you know, we had one road team that was just doing some stuff, um, that they, they lost their way, obviously, but they got, you know, they got, they went on a witch hunt out there and they didn't really find anything. You know, they, they found one bad team. They found a, you know, a little bit of drug use, um, but just, you know, minuscule. Um, and you know, there's always been a debate in our community of, of, uh, these, these witch hunts, uh, cause that's what we call them. You know, you have, you have one team, falls off the falls off the moral uh, wagon. And and then they come through and just, just uh, turn everything upside down. I think it's important because, you know, um, the the American people should, you know, they should have an idealized image of what a special operator is, what special operations is. And, and when we fail to meet that metric, um, one of the ways we regain that trust is by, you know, hiking up our skirt and, and, and showing that, Hey, yeah, we had a problem. It's not widespread problem. And then, you know, the, the second question was, you know, how did that happen? Um, I don't know. I wasn't on that team. But I, I, I can see that we have the bones for, for uh, some gross disciplinary issues um, because the teams are small. They stay together for, for a long time. And um, we train for a ton of things. We, you know, I know exactly how to do almost anything that can happen on the battlefield um, anywhere on the planet. But I think what people don't prepare for is when, when somebody's had your back, right. Um, when you've, when you've, when, when you've been wounded and this guy refused to, to let off the throttle, cause he was, he was going to get you out of there. And then he comes back and has a drug problem. Your first, your first thought is not to cut him loose or to turn him into, to, uh, for discipline issues, you try to take care of him like he took care of you. And I think it's always a misguided effort that a a drug problem is such an insidious problem. It's not something a team can solve internally. Um, uh, A, 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 It's just going to get worse until that guy lets you down because chronic drug use, you know, it is just a matter of time until he lets you down. And I think worst case scenario is that you end up with a team that has a drug culture. And I, and I think that's what, my suspicion is that if you trace back how did an entire team um, chronically use drugs, I bet, you know, it's a 20-year war. You go back uh, 10 years, I bet you they didn't, the whole team didn't do drugs. So something happened, and then that became their culture. Um, and uh, but we owe it to, to uh, when we find those problems, um, be vicious about pairing them out and, uh, and showing the American people they can trust us.
1: Yeah, transparency.
2: Yeah, and it's transparency is <clears throat> not something we're comfortable with over here, <laughs> right? Especially
1: yeah, in the, the silent professional community. Uh, yeah, and uh, but you know it, it, you're right though it, it is necessary. I mean, as a drill sergeant, when I when I train my uh, trainees, when we teach them, right? You know, one of the one of the things that we try and and do is say, hey, listen, you are now in a United States Army soldier. Hopefully, right? and in nine ten weeks from now, when you graduate. Uh, basic combat training. You're going to be a soldier, and the civilian population is going to look at you differently. Like they're going to expect you to be a certain way. They're going to expect you to walk a certain way, and and be respectful towards everybody and all things. And now you got to learn how to bite your tongue. You got to learn how to uh, carry yourself better, be presentable uh, to the public eye because you represent the United States Army and Department of Defense and the United States of America. And um, that only gets that 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 uh that image of you only gets um stricter and stricter more strict as you move up in in profession so there you are as a green beret um in the special forces group and like you know the people that serve in the military look at you guys and say oh my god like these guys are it these guys are the shit and the people outside of the military like oh my gosh Special forces—that must mean something because it's got the word "special" in it and the word "force" in it, and they wear a thing on their shoulder. It's really long, so it's got to be something important. And something like this and you, breaks, and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like, yep. what are we doing? So, yeah, transparency is a big, is a big thing.
0: Yeah, the fact that you can—what
2: is it? You, you build your reputation one one grain of sand at a time, but you can you can tear it all down in a day.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's important that you guys were able to hold each other accountable for that too, because uh, a lot of times they they let investigations go on, and everyone else is like, "Hey, I had nothing to do with that. I, I don't really care, really." But it, it's good that self policing is very important.
2: I think so, and because it because it, uh, the first line of defense against any of those that's it's the guys that are there on the ground. So if you're acting a certain way, um, and you need you know, like you're, you need your Sergeant major to come in and tell you how to act. Like, well, that 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 thing's broken because you're you're uh, the guys to your left and your right. <laughs> that they should be the ones holding you accountable. So, and that's yeah. that's something I really noticed as I went um, kind of up my tier of elite units. Um, is is in an elite unit, the sergeant major doesn't go around um, doing on the spot correction corrections. He does not have to because the guys the rank and file hold themselves and each other to such a, a a high level that, um, you know, by the time he's spotting something like the whole, usually the whole, the whole area where he found this problem is, is, has, has discipline issues. Right. Yeah. Um, But that's, I like that you save so much time um, in a unit like that. Just not having to worry about, you know, silly, weird problems.
1: Most of the time, most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and, and, and I can see that being, um, I mean, again, as you move up, like you said, and in, in, in move up into the elite tiers, you know, you go Ranger and, and SF and the Delta guys and all the other groups that uh, are special operators and the other branches. I mean, there's this expectation and I, I've heard that before too. Um, like I said, we, when we spoke with William Branham, the uh, Navy SEAL, it was kind of the same thing that the team holds the teammates, the team members, the members of the team accountable and and I, I will say even in even in the regular uh conventional force um it should still be that way right your your battle buddy hate that term but your battle buddy should be holding you accountable and you should be holding them accountable it shouldn't get to the point where like your team leader your squad leader your platoon sergeant and so on have to step in and say hey y'all are fucked up right yeah it's it's your buddies, so your left and your right they should be like hey man like maybe you don't do that you know uh, because if it escalates beyond that, then it's just, you know, shit continues rolling on Hill. And if it gets to the point where like, you're Sergeant Major, again, oh. in, the, in the conventional force, me are talking about like a battalion Sergeant Major over, you know, uh, shit, fucking 400, 500 people. Like, if they're catching wind of this stuff and they're having to step in, man, first sergeants are messed up. All the E7s are messed up. Yeah. Tenants are fucked up. You know, and it's a, it's a big deal. Word spreads.
0: Um, Everyone else knows you're fucked up. They yeah, start looking yeah. down on you. So yeah, and then they slowly. then they
1: able to like to to, to root you out. And like, oh, turns out PFC fucking Joe Snuffy was over here being fucked up, and now the entire battalion is on lockdown for a four day yeah. weekend. And we can't go do anything. No, uh, yeah. yeah, Like, well, you know, I remember being in the infantry, and, and like I'd
2: see stuff about to happen, and I didn't do anything about it. Yeah, because that mm-hmm. was not my job. All the time, but then I was like, "Hey, that is my you know." You see, the guy, and every unit has him. You know, the guy, and it's Wednesday, and you see him carrying two thirty packs of natty ice back to his barracks room. Like, maybe go uh, intervene because you know, sure enough, when he shows up, you know, fall down drunk, naked for formation. The whole you know, everybody's catching hell, and you're like, "Man, this sucks." Well, uh, yeah,
1: it sucks because you let it suck. Yeah. yeah, you saw it unfolding yesterday. Like yeah. this is—I like, I knew,
2: yeah, you—I knew that there was no way that he was going to be fit for duty today. Yeah. And I, you know, I was like, well, you know, not my problem. And that uh, but now it's my problem. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is like, well, maybe it won't be my problem tomorrow. Maybe he'll show up to formation on time with his, yeah, maybe, the right uniform. Mark.
2: Yeah, maybe he will. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that was that was one of my, uh, you know, kind of transition from amateur to professional soldier was when I was like, no, everybody that's around me um, is going to meet my standards of conduct. And, uh, um, and I, you know, that was like a, that was a big change, I think, from I'm here for my little short adventure to I'm staying here forever. So I, I need the organization to be a, a certain way.
1: Oh, and I can imagine, right? I can imagine not, not wanting to be that guy because it's, it's the same in the drill sergeant community. It kind of is because we have to be this like image of the United States Army. Like, you know, when people when people think of the Army and they, and they think of drill sergeants, like they think drill saw, this, yeah. Yeah, they're supposed to be the standard. And so we kind of have to hold ourselves and you don't want to be that guy that is below the standard. You don't want to be that drill sergeant. They're like, oh, but you're fat, you know, yeah. or yeah, you, you don't look like you're capable or you're on the trail especially in the reserves because we go on the trail and when we, we work with our activity uh, counterparts and, and Hey man, can you give a class on this thing? And, Oh, uh, and I've seen it, right. Oh, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know that thing that well. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you're supposed to be an expert a subject subject matter expert on all skill level one tasks like how can you not well, talk about rifle? all marketing? of them but this one <laughs> right yeah exactly <laughs> oh well i mean if you want to talk about uh dash one i can give a class on that all day long it's like well yeah but we're in rifle marches right now like we gotta yeah. we gotta talk about that
2: yeah great that's not what we're doing today yeah yeah cool not you're useless today. thanks go away
0: so uh <laughs> This has been an awesome show, and I'm always the one that has to start to bring things to an end. I hate to be that guy. <laughs> I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out on, if you don't know this, Mother's Day weekend to chill out with us for a little bit and explain the, explain what you're about. It's not like you, you just told us a story. You, you told us who you are in a different way. Uh, you can get down with the best of them at any point. Anytime it gets spicy, you're ready. But at the (laughs) same time, you're a leader and you understand the strength and the importance of team. And that's something that I really want people to understand, especially this month doing mental mental health, mental wellness. Uh, it's about the team, you know, support your teammates and, uh, Man, I can't thank you enough for coming
2: on. No, thanks for having me, guys. It's been awesome.
1: Yeah, for real. Um, it's it's uh, it's 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 a it's a really cool story, and like you're an extremely humble person, and, and I I appreciate that a lot because you hear when people get awards and you know like uh, and they you know like uh, they're very proud of their bronze star and the silver star, and they should be, but like you know don't let it go to your head. Don't let it don't let it be. You know, you're still a person at the end of the day. And, and that's, and the, 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 way you approach it, the way you tell the story is just, you're, you're human as fuck. And I and I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's relatable. Nice. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely a good dude. And, um, thank you, uh, for, for coming on and, and thank you for telling your story. And, uh, and again, happy mother's day to your guys's moms. Uh, <laughs> yours too, man. Yeah. Wherever. <laughs> and, and all the other moms out there, I guess, even though it's not mother's day when you're watching slash listening yeah. uh but yeah uh earl uh, again a, a thousand times thanks man this is this has been a really good opportunity for for me because i you know I'm, I'm kind of a a groupie when it comes to and i've said it before when we got to record with all these like dudes like recording with mike vining one of the founding members of delta force i'm like i'm fangirling right because i'm like oh my god this dude right and you know, I'm able to, we're able to sit down and, and speak with you. So I'm definitely fangirling too right now. So it's it is, it's been pretty rad. I, I appreciate it a lot.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot.
0: Oh, yeah. All right, everyone. So thank you for listening to Before I Forget. Please like, listen, share, subscribe, watch, share. Thank you, Mr. Earl, for coming on here. It's an incredible time. Kevin, you got anything? No, I already said my things. Word. Have a good one. Thanks.
1: (laughs) I I
2: hate it.